0: Well, happy new year again. Uh, Thank you guys so much for bringing the church into uh, this place, uh, into this room. And for those of you that are gathered for Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your uh, living room or wherever it is that you happen to be. Um, My name is Jamie and it's my joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. Um, And even as we just heard in that prayer, uh, we wanna spend some time talking this morning about uh, what we hope for in 2022. Um, And we're going to take some time to dive into Ephesians chapter 4 here in just a minute to explore this theme here, this idea of growing together. What does that look like? Um, And so for many of you, if you've been around Crosspoint, at least over the last probably 30 days or so, you've heard something about this theme. But I just want to step back for a moment and then provide a bit of an update. But back in the beginning of December, like right at the start of the month, we gathered here for a kind of a congregational town hall meeting. And we wanted to celebrate what God had done. in particular in the last year and a half or so as we've navigated the pandemic and moving locations and just a lot of different things. There's a ton to celebrate as well as just this anticipation and this sense here and what we put before you that night is like we just feel like there's like a new season before us and with that then comes like Jesus's words in Luke 10. He told them, he says the harvest is abundant, like it's plentiful, but the workers are few Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into, it's his harvest. And so he brings the growth. He does, you know, it's his work. It's his church, all of it. But he invites us to do this work with him, all right? It's not to earn anything, but rather we get the joy of participation. And so... On that particular Wednesday night at the beginning of December, we laid before you what we were calling the Grow Together initiative that really was more than just a final push at the end of 2021, but we wanted it to help set the trajectory for this upcoming year. And in that, we put before you that there are three aspects of this, that there's this call as a people to grow together through joyful generosity was one aspect, through vulnerable relationships and through sacrificial service. And in particular, we said that we wanted to spend the month of December really focused in a bit more on the joyful generosity. And then as we got into the to the new year, to the other aspects of vulnerable relationships and sacrificial service. And so those in particular, what we're gonna look at in a moment in Ephesians 4. Um, but I just want to give an update as it pertains to the joyful generosity side of things. Um, you guys, if you've been part of Crosspoint, if you're new, and this might be one of your first Sundays, this will kind of help give a bit of a recap as well. We laid before you some things that we've just been trying to figure out as it's not been a normal last couple years right and that's not just that's not unique to crosspoint uh that's just even for churches and nonprofits literally like all over the world and so there's some things that in the past we've been able to look at as we set budgets and all that and listen it was just like we didn't exactly know what to do but we did anticipate um being behind in some ways, some things that we were already behind in. And so I'm just thrilled to be able to bring before you guys just seeing how God has worked. This call here to joyful generosity, like you as a church have stepped up in incredible ways. So just let me share a bit of this This to give all praise and glory to God, and yet recognizing he chooses to work in and through his people. And so one of the things that we shared is that we anticipated... As we just kind of looked out that, hey, we're going to be about $6,000 a month short in our budget. The staff and elders we'd gone through and trimmed about 4000 because it was about, probably about a $10,000 deficit and got it down to six. And so the call was above and beyond what people normally give a call to pledge an additional 6000 per month and ask that that be in by the end of December. And praise God, $6,825 at a conservative end was pledged um, for this upcoming year. So thank you all so much. Praise to God for just his provision in working through. And one of the things that we've seen that's been so encouraging to us is it's across the spectrum. It's people who've been part of Crosspoint since the day it started in my living room and people that are super new to Crosspoint and everywhere in between people engaging. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, We're super encouraged um, by this. We also shared that first Wednesday in December that through, because our budget year started in September, the way we would run things, and in September, October, and November, we were behind about $10,000 each month, and so we had accrued just a little over $30,000 of kind of being behind. Our December giving um, was just crazy, like in a, Beautiful way that where our budget is thirty-seven thousand per month, uh, seventy-six thousand one hundred eighty-five dollars were given to our general budget. So praise God for that. Thank you for your sacrificial, joyful generosity. If you're doing the math, all right, I'm not great at math, but I think that works out to about thirty-nine thousand dollars, like of additional funds that that came in, which functionally makes up the deficit that we had in September, October, and November. And so we feel like we're going into the new year um, in a a good spot when we think about what's been played as far as just the financial piece. So really thankful and excited about that. Lastly, and this was a very unexpected thing, um, one of the things we're going to look at today in our text is how God equips his church, and he works through his church the various giftings and abilities and Things And so one of our partners in in the church who you heard from uh, her a few weeks ago in one of the videos that we did, Kaylin, um, she would not want any credit for this, but I'm saying her name anyway, Um, she came up to uh, Eric and I after our town hall and what she does for work and just knows some of the ins and outs of even things that are available for nonprofits given everything the last year and a half. There's a thing called an employee retention credit, so she's in the process of filing that for us. At a conservative end, it looks like at some point in 2022, $25,000 will actually be given back to Crosspoint as part of this program. and so. Just super excited. I had no idea that that kind of thing even existed. I would have no idea how to file that. I can barely figure out taxes, let alone this, all right? And so just praise God for him working in and through the body, seeing you all just contribute with just a joyful generosity. And so thank you. So I think we should give praise to God for this. So it's awesome. So with with that, now what I want to do is continue in this theme because we really... We genuinely meant it. This was not just a call about a financial piece. It was, yes, what does it look like to engage in joyful generosity? But also, part of what it looks like to be the church is growing together through vulnerable relationships. And that idea can be sort of scary, particularly if you've made yourself vulnerable before and you've gotten hurt. There's some wounding. And so we can tend to, rightfully so sometimes, like protect ourselves. And so what does it look like, though, to be a community that's open and transparent and growing in those things? And what does it also look like to be a community that's using the gifts and abilities that the Lord has given to us to steward those well for the advancement of his kingdom? So to help us with that, there's this wonderful text. I mean, the book of Ephesians is just a phenomenal uh, book and what it lays out for even just a vision for the church. But we want to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning through the first 16 verses. So if you brought a Bible, please turn there. We want you to hear... Have God's word in front of you, one way or another. So if you brought a Bible, if you didn't, you can also go to cplife.church on your phone, on the device right now, and you will see something that says sermon notes, as you, kind of the second block there, click that, and that will give you the text as well as anything you see up on the screen this morning. It's just a good way to be able to follow along. So cplife.church. So I want to go ahead and read this, and here we get a vision of What Jesus has for his church, remembering that the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit is writing these words to a church in Ephesus. It's to a group, it's to a community, it's to a new church that's engaging all sorts of different circumstances and trials and challenges there and the way that God brings about flourishing, the way that Jesus is continuing to be faithful to the promise that he made that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We are part of that history. And so let's hear these words. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16 begins this way. Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints For the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is God's word for us this morning. So as we get into this and we think about growing together, we're gonna conclude with that some very specific areas, some ways, what does it look like to grow together through vulnerable relationships, sacrificial service, and sort of this vision for us as a church in the new year. We need to start, though, where this starts, that we need to see what God has done. In fact, the Apostle Paul, all right, as we look at this, he's reminding us that we've been called together, and we did not summon ourselves, right? God has done this. The way the scriptures would speak about these sorts of things when God saves and God builds His church, you contributed to it about as much as you did in being born, right? Like you had nothing to do with it. This is all God's work. And so Paul says these words, he says, therefore, which if you had the time, then you could go and read Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3 and you would hear over and over again about God's mercy, about God's grace, you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not your own. We get into Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and following. Like it's all about God. That he has called us together, he's unified us, he's brought us together, he is building his church. And Paul did even say, "I a prisoner in the Lord." which seems like a rather sort of strange like description, and maybe you're, if you're new to the Bible or Christianity or even maybe been around it for a while, like, that, that doesn't seem very appealing. But Paul's getting at this theme that everybody, in the words of Bob Dylan, has gotta serve somebody, right? Like everybody is worshiping, everybody is serving someone or something, some vision of the good life. And so you're either ser- serving what is put before you by the world, by the culture, or You're a prisoner, meaning you're a servant of Jesus. And when you're following him, that's where life is actually found. And so this was just loaded here in these initial verses. And so before we can talk about growing together and what the Lord invites us into and how to participate, we have to remember all the things we never participated in. All the things that have been done by grace. And it's all been done by grace. And I don't know if you noticed this, but as I was reading through these opening verses... Paul seems to be repeating himself. It's like a broken record, or if you remember when there were CDs and they would skip, and it's like one, 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 right? And he just says it over and over and over again. He's like, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. What's he doing there? Is he just looking for filler? He's like, I don't know what to put in this sentence, right? Like, No, Paul wants the church in Ephesus, And God wants us to know this morning, before we even think about our calling, our response to God's grace, let's just remember, let's soak it in, let's be so thankful for the new identity we have in Christ. We've not been saved and just to be like nice people, like you're new, you're a new creation if you're in Christ. And so there's this one body, we're this one church, there's one spirit that is at work in and through us that Jesus said, as we studied the book of John last year, right, that it's better that he would leave so that the Spirit could come. Like, we are indwelled by God's Spirit, and there's one hope. There's no hope apart from Christ. Like, that's the focus, and he's provided that for us. There's one Lord. There's one faith. Even to say there's one baptism is this reminder. You have a particular story. You're a particular upbringing, you have particular preferences, you have particular talents, abilities, interests, personality, temperament, like all of those things. But we are unified in Christ. One baptism. We are all buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in this newness of life. That sacrament signifying the fact that we have been made one. We didn't do this. So, if there's any part of us that feels this is sort of a New Year's resolution, what are you going to do? I'm not anti New Year's resolutions, by the way, but just let's rest in this. Jesus, when he was on the cross and he said it is finished, he meant it. We rest in that. If there's any bit of this that would come across to you like a New Year's resolution, I got to be a better Christian and Jesus needs my help, that's a lie, all right? No, like he has accomplished it all, he's brought us together. Maybe a way to think about it is it's from Christ's accomplishments, and then our participation, it flows out of that. If you want to use some grammar, the way you think about it is there's the indicatives of the scriptures, reminding us of who we are, our identity, and then the imperatives. And Paul gives some imperatives. He gives some commands here. He tells us what it looks like to be the church, but it always flows out of what Christ has done. If you're in Christ. God cannot love you any more than He does right now. If you gave this joyful generosity over the past 30 days, praise God for that. But at the end of the day, like his affection for you didn't change based on a check you wrote or a credit card number that was submitted, right? Like he loves you. So let's rest in that. I'm reminded of these words by C.S. Lewis, one of his great works is the screw tape letters. If you're familiar with this, you know that. It's written from a very interesting point of view. He writes it creatively as if it's one demon talking to another demon, sort of training him of like how to disrupt the church. So we get this insight into how the deceiver, the enemy, what Jesus would say the devil is like the father of lies, like how he actually operates. And so let me just, I've been saying it for the last couple minutes, but just to be as clear as possible in this, He says one of the tactics of the enemy is to get us to think, yes, it's the gospel, and then it's what you do. And so Lewis says it this way, but remember, these are two demons talking to one another, right? What we want, one demon says, is if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. This is Lewis's way of saying, listen, a tactic of the enemy is going to be to get us to think, oh, it's Christianity, and then you do these things. So Christianity and come to church. Christianity and get in a group. Christianity and serve. Christianity and give. Christianity and even in the next few weeks as we get into our, our series for the rest of the month of January and we look at God's heart for justice and the poor and the ways to care, it's Christianity and just, no, it's the gospel. It's just the truths of who Jesus is, his life, death, resurrection, his promised return. We don't add anything to it. The devil wants to distract you and I by thinking it's up to us now to say, okay, thank you, Jesus, way to go, and now and. There's no and. It's just what Christ has done. And so that's the first few verses. We have to keep that in mind. And then Paul, before he's going to even call us to what it looks like to love and to serve one another, to be in relationship with one another, he also reminds us that no one comes into, you think about it just in the physical world, nobody comes into this world as a grown adult. Like, you didn't just show up looking like you do right now. That'd be weird, right? Um, But everybody is born, and you come into the world as an infant, And the same is true in the spiritual realm. When we studied John chapter 3 a few months ago, Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, you must be born again, that everybody comes into this as a spiritual baby, as a spiritual infant, spiritually immature. And so God in his love to us, not to condemn us, not to shame us, This is how you distinguish between the work of the devil and the work of the spirit. The devil speaks lies to you of condemnation. The devil will speak words to you like, oh, yeah, go ahead and set those resolutions. How'd you do last year, you big, miserable failure? Oh, I'm sure that'll go well for you, right? And just speaks these things, reminds you of the ways that you failed. Oh, weren't you supposed to be further along at this point in your spiritual life? That's not how the spirit works, though. The spirit brings conviction, but never condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the Spirit will bring conviction. The Spirit, in its kindness, will point out to you ways that you are spiritually immature and ways that I'm spiritually immature. And part of God's grace to us is that he's given us one another. Because guess what? I'm not fully aware of all the ways that I'm spiritually immature, where I'm still an infant, where I'm still a little baby. And you don't know all the ways that you are as well. And people are like, yeah, I know my blind spots. No, you don't. That's why they're called blind spots, right? Like, we're not aware of these things. And so we need one another. Now, what Paul does as we get into this next section, before we can talk even again, we got to remind, be reminded of who we are. And then let's just be reminded of the fact, he says it this way, we're all immature together. It's not to stay there. You know, if you were born in the world as a tiny little baby and you just stayed in that state forever, there would be a concern We're not supposed to stay immature, but let's look at this. Verses 11 to 14 again, and we'll come back to a couple of these in more detail, but just to get the context, it says he himself in verse 11, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And then verse 13 says this, until we all reach unity in the faith, And the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Let me put before you what is happening here in regards to spiritual immaturity. Paul is saying this. Be be reminded of this. Like, who's writing it? Right? I think most of us, it would be fair to say, would look at the Apostle Paul and be like, Yeah, he's written half the New Testament. He seems to be doing some things for the Lord. Is there a picture of spiritual maturity? We'd probably say the Apostle Paul, like, it fits. Like, if you rolled up to Paul and were like, hey, can you help disciple me? Like, nobody would think that was weird. Like, no, you should be discipling Paul, right? Like, no, Paul is this picture on the one hand of spiritual maturity. But part of spiritual maturity is a willingness to actually admit, yeah, but I'm not there. And if you're walking around like, I am spiritually mature. I'm God's gift to the church. I'm here to serve you all. You've just proved you're inordinate immaturity, all right? We've got Crosspoint Kids for you, you can go in there, right? Like, the reality is that we are all spiritually immature. And so Paul is saying it, hey guys, it's not a you issue, it's a we issue. He includes himself in this. Did you hear these words in 4.13? Until we, not until you all reach unity, no, until we, he includes himself in it because Paul is aware of the fact that he still needs to grow. And so if the Apostle Paul can look at his own life and say, I'm just a baby Christian, man, I think we should find some encouragement in that. But it also, me making sure that it's humbling us as well, lest we think we're God's gift to the church. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith, and so part of what it looks like to spiritually mature is to have that unity and in the knowledge of God's Son. And then he says, here's the standard. Growing into maturity with the stature, what? Measured by Christ's fullness. So if you look over your life and you're like, well, you know, I know this person, they're in my community group or this friend of mine in the church, or I don't know this person that well, but I see them and they're, they seem kind of spiritually immature. like, Listen, the standard is not the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you or wherever. The standard is Jesus. It's his fullness, right? And the moment we realize that, then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm completely spiritually immature. I'm just a little baby, Right? Nap time. can we do that, right? Like, that is what it should be, like, creating in us. Again, not to shame us, but just to give a proper perspective. Like, welcome to church, we're all little babies, we're all immature together, and yet God is gonna invite us to grow. And miracle of miracles, he builds his church in and through spiritually immature little babies like us. Now, I find that incredibly encouraging. And so a couple of things to consider before we move into the last section. Where then are you immature, right? Now, I think there's lots of different ways we could talk about that. Um, and I'm sure there are ways that hopefully the Spirit will be working in your life to say, hey, here's an area to pay attention to, or you got people in your life to help you with that. But I think there are two things that we see here by, from the Apostle Paul in regards to doctrine and then devotion. And so in regards to doctrine, if we look at verse 14, Paul writes this. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. One of the things that plagues the church, Paul is saying, and this was true a couple thousand years ago and it continues to be true, is that because of the tactic of the enemy, even to get us to believe into a Christianity and mindset, is we don't, all the time, like understand the, the beauty and the wonder of the doctrines. Now, don't think doctrine is like this cold, dead, like dusty books and it's just intellectual and snobby or all. No, no. Like, doctrine, like a right understanding of what Christ has done leads to doxology, it leads to worship. I mean, ask yourself do you have a plan to deepen yourself doctrinally this year? Not so that you'll win Bible trivia, all right, and have this big ego and all that, but rather that your heart might just have just more worship flows out of it. That you have a clear understanding of, oh, oh I was dead in my sin, and God made me alive. He's made us one. Like, these things matter. This is not like this sort of dead orthodox is what we have here the doctrines are beautiful the doctrines of Christ the doctrines of his church the fact that we get the privilege to study this and yes part of that is happening what we're doing right now But I would also put before you that my guess is you don't just eat once a week and so if we think about it in that way, it's like this is important. I, I love that we get to come in and be encouraged and worship Jesus, but this is to send us back out. And so how are you even, what's your plan to grow in your theology, your understanding, your appreciation for the story that you're part of? And I realize that's a slippery slope sometimes, because you're like, yeah, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year and it's like January 4, and like a failure, I've lost, you know, like, right? Or then you're like, no, I made it through January, I made it through February. Somewhere now in the book of Numbers, I don't know what's going on, right? Like, we just give up. Listen, the plan for you to grow doctrinally, theologically, in your understanding of the scriptures, the Bible, it's so that you would grow in discernment, all right? Reading through the Bible, is that a helpful thing? Great. Is that prescribed by Jesus? Is there a verse that says you have to do that? No, there's not, right? But there is a call, like the word of God is living and active. Like, what's your plan to be in that, And so Paul addresses that, but he also addresses, and this came up right at the beginning, he says, we're going to grow together as the church. We're going to be the body as the church. There's also this call to be devoted to one another. So look with me back at verses 1 to 3. So he says, I, a prisoner in the Lord, I urge you. Like, there's this pleading. I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. Remember your identity. This is where doctrine matters. Because here's the thing, right? We just talked a moment ago. The enemy's gonna show up and try and speak lies to you. You come back to the truth. That's what we're talking about with doctrine. You come back to the truth of who you are in Christ. He says, so I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So, Part of the immaturity that Paul recognizes is this. We don't always do that. It's hard to be in relationships. It's easy to be a peacekeeper. Just generally just keep your mouth shut, right? Don't add to the drama. But to be a peacemaker, to actually engage in seeking to bring about reconciliation, talk about the vulnerability even in relationships. Like, if you actually and I actually function as the church that we're called to function as, we'd be in each other's lives enough that it will be messy. We will sin against one another. We will need to extend grace and forgiveness to one another. We're going to need to ask for grace and forgiveness. But again, this is where the doctrine matters. Because what if you pursue somebody? You're like, hey, I've been loved and forgiven by Jesus. I know I I messed up. And so you go and you wanna offer forgiveness or you wanna ask for forgiveness, but at the same time in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but you did something too, right? And but what if they don't reciprocate? Well, the doctrine tells you this, like, like, God will deal with that. Like, you be faithful to what you've been called to. It frees us to just, to be the church. You don't have anything to prove. And so if that person doesn't end up granting forgiveness, if the relationship is strength, like, I'm not saying like we're cynical about it, but at the end of the day, your identity didn't shift or change at all based on how that person responded to you. But Paul is pleading with us, like, be devoted to one another. I mean, this is building on this idea of like vulnerable relationships that we're called to. And so I think a question we have to ask ourselves is like, hey, are we actually devoted? Like, are we willing to put in that work? Not to earn anything, but just a recognition that this is a room full of sinful people. Whether in person, online, it didn't change the reality, right? And so sinful people are gonna sin against each other. And so Paul's saying, will you bear with one another? Not just to endure, not to just like, hey, how, but like to actually grow in the relationships. Now, there's a term um, that's shown up over the last uh, several years. It got popularized kind of, I don't know, 2014, 2015. I'm, I'm guessing many of you are familiar with this term, ghosting, are you familiar with that? To ghost someone. And so there's a lot of speculation. If you go and research a bit of like, hey, where did that idea come up with, right? Or Where did it come from? Some people will trace it back to like, oh, Charlize Theron, when she broke up with Sean Penn, she ghosted him. That's, what, that's how they described it. She would deny that, according to people.com. But anyway... Um, <laughs> It actually, what I found really fascinating, though, going back to 2014, there's a woman named Hannah Vanderpool. She was in her 20s at the time, I believe living in New York City. And she'd she'd have these dates, and she'd go on some of these these dates, right? And then they'd have some follow-up, and she'd be texting back and forth. And then maybe the little bubble popped up, and then it disappeared. And she never heard from the guy ever again, right? She's like, what is happening, right? And she'd try and engage, and then she'd play the mind games of like, it's been like 24 hours. Is it obnoxious if I text again? Right, so doing all of that. Um, And she's a creative person and a writer of comedy and stuff. And so one day, apparently on the the subway, uh, she wrote Ghoster's Paradise. Um, Those of you that are old enough to remember Gangster's Paradise by Coolio will know what she was doing this little parody of, all right? And so she wrote this and in that she said, hey, the best way to describe this is like being ghosted. Like that, um, you know, the person just like in thin air, they just kinda like disappear. And so that's kind of comical and we look, look at that. But, like, in all reality, the easy thing is to ghost relationships. I mean, maybe a way to think about practically with the church, are you guilty of ghosting the church? Now, those of you that are here right now, whether you're in person or you're watching online or, or whatever, you're like, well, no. Like, I'm here and I'm involved. But I think one of the things that the last even couple years has taught us, it is so easy to just to check out. Right? And it's because it's hard to persevere. It's hard to be in a relationship, all of that. We got to keep coming back to the doctrine. We're loved by God. Let that fuel our love for other people. But like it exists in every one of our hearts, the ability, like it's there that we could just peace out on the church. And we could buy into the deception and the lie that I love Jesus, I just don't really like his church, and so I'm kind of done with the church. Jesus gave us life for the church. Jesus is washing the church and renewing the church and sanctifying the church. Jesus loves the church with all its imperfections. And we are called to be part of the church. May we never ghost the church. And yet, let's not be so arrogant to think that that couldn't be me. And that couldn't be, you because the frustrations can be real at times. Tim Keller in a sermon years ago on these particular verses says this, if you want to become, meaning like to grow in Christ-likeness, become like God, if you want to have this divine life grow and grow into maturity, you cannot just drop in on church and expect that you're going to grow. That means, of course, you also can't be on the outs with people. Do you realize how absolutely outrageous and inappropriate it is for you to have the life of the Trinity in you, and yet there are some people around that you avoid because you're kind of on the outs with them? How dare we do that? And that's not a word of condemnation. That's not a word to say, like, we gotta fix this and that every relationship is gonna be like it once was. But there is a call, that's why Paul's like, I urge you, I plead with you, like, be humble, be patient, be long-suffering. So in the things that we're gonna talk about these last few minutes, then about growing together, like we have to keep this in mind. Christ has brought us together. I have immaturity, you have immaturity, all right? Particularly oftentimes around the areas of doctrine and devotion. So what does it look like to be aware of those things? And then how do we actually engage? So let's talk about these last couple of verses as we see, particularly in 11 to 16, this vision, this call for us to grow together. And so Paul, in verse 11, he says this, Jesus gave some to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We don't have time to get into all of those things, all right? Which of those things were in the New Testament time? Things like apostles, right, prophets. But there are evangelists today, there are pastors, and is it pastor and teacher as one, or are those separate? the point is is this all right there's this call here that Paul's talking about of sacrificial service of using your gifts because you're an integral part of the body and so Paul would say this look at the the language here so yes Jesus gives those but here's the idea it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ might be built up to build up the body of Christ so yes I have a particular role as an elder, as a pastor, as a teacher. Sure, I'm also a part of the church, a part of the body. And the calling is not for any of the pastors, elders, leadership to do all the work of the church. No, the call is to equip, and it says the saints. Again, another reminder of our identity. You're a saint, and the saints get sent on mission. We get sent to serve. Yes, out in the community, we're going to spend the whole rest of the month of January talking about a lot of those particulars, but also hear this. You are sent to build up the body of Christ right here, right now, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's how the body gets built up. The church needs you, and you need the church. And so when you serve, whether it be somewhere on Sunday, whether it be in scheduled program, like I signed up for this and I get an email from Planning Center and I do all that. Yes to all that. It's an important part, a huge part in the life of the church. But there's also those conversations that you have. They're not planned. No one else in the church even knows these things are happening. You didn't sign up for it. You pray for somebody. Somebody comes to mind and you shoot them a text. They say, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Like these are ways the church gets built up. So how do you think about the church? Like John Stott in his commentary in the Book of Ephesians uh, said this. He said you can think in terms of like is the ministry model a pyramid? Is the ministry model a bus? Or is the ministry model a body? And I was like, oh Johnny, you could have said business instead of pyramid. And you would have had business, bus, and body, and the alliteration. So I'm, I'm you know, just updating Stott a little bit. But um, here's the idea, all right. And I'm very much kidding there. But all right. Um, some view could be this sort of pyramid, meaning there's the business, there's the CEO, and yeah, there's these other people and they play a role, but it's really what the CEO is doing, and there's kind of these underlings, and they're kind of all just working for this person. Like, that's not how the church is to be spoken of. No, that's not the ministry model. It's also not the bus. Like, the pastors, elders, like, they're driving the bus, and everybody else is just a passive passenger, just, okay, wherever you want to take me, I'm just along for the ride. No, 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 that's not it either. The picture is the body. That's why... Paul says this as he concludes this section. From him, from Jesus, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So Jesus is the head. He's leading, all right? But he's inviting us to play a particular role. And I love that the Apostle Paul even says these supporting ligaments. Like that's a helpful way to think about it. I learned the importance of ligaments 10, 11 years ago now. Um, Some of you know this part part of my life and the story of thinking, hey, I'll dust off the old basketball shoes. I'll join the league at the YMCA and I can run down the court. And Nope, nope, I can't run down the court anymore and I tore my ACL. Um, And so this little ligament in my knee just heard the pop and I crumpled to the ground. And I learned, oh, that little ligament matters. It brings stability. So I got the surgery, got all healed up. A couple years later, against my wife's advice, I'm like, I'm gonna go play basketball again. She's like, oh no. An hour later, I call her, she's like, what's wrong? I think I tore the other knee. You're an idiot. Then, all right, anyway, um, which is true. But, um, and so, I, I end up tearing the other knee. Um, and this time, I heard the pop, but being not the brightest, I decided, well, maybe it's just a little sprint. Let me go back in and test it, all right? Um, and then I made my first cut, and then I just crumpled to the ground. Like, there's no stability. If I hadn't torn it the first time, I definitely tore it then. This little, it brings stability. And, and Paul's saying, like, for the church to be stable, to thrive, to be built up, there's the support that happens. Like, every part matters. If I just looked at all the things in the body, you look at the, you know, the MRI and the x-rays and all the stuff, and be like, oh, that little thing like that probably is, doesn't matter. No, it matters a ton. Your role in the body of Christ is not insignificant. The church need you. Now, it's not to earn the affection of God. God is rejoicing over you if you're in Christ with just a loud, exuberant singing as the book of Zephaniah speaks of. But he does invite us to play with our immaturity, with our infantness. He's like, the church needs you. And so the call, will you engage? We're going to grow together, sacrificial service. Close with this. There's also then, I think it's spoken of throughout this, this call to vulnerable relationships. And vulnerability is easier to talk about than to actually live out. Um, and I feel like this is something like needing to continue to grow in. If I'm like, oh, where's a, where's a babiness to me? Like, yeah, th- this vulnerability part. Like, there, there are ways, like, how, what does it look like to, to share and to, to, to ask for help and all, all of those things? But it is what we're called to. And I think this is embodied here. I think it's showcased here in verse 15. Paul says this. As he's talking about us as the church and growing together. And part of what happens, it's, remember, it's not just written to an isolated individual. It's written to a church. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. So the way that we grow, he says, the way the church is going to grow and thrive, yes, using your gifts, but also in the context of relationships, speaking the truth in love. Some might go, well, I'm more of a truth teller. Speak the truth, but no love. It's selfishness. Being a jerk for Jesus doesn't count for the kingdom, right? So yeah, great, you said some truth, but that's not the... The picture, all right? You just, well, I just speak the truth, right? Uh, You might end up in a Taylor Swift song, right? So casually cruel in the name of being honest, all right? Any of my Taylor Swift fans? No, okay, anyway. So just me, I guess, all right? But see, vulnerable, I'm letting you know. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, just saying, okay? Um, But that idea, right? There's like, can be a cruelty to it. So yeah, speak the truth, it's super important, but if there's no love, it's selfishness. But at the end of the day, if you're like, ah, oh, I just love people, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say the hard things, well, that's selfish as well. The calling is to speak the truth in love. Like, do you remember th- th- this particular scene it's in the book of uh, 2 Samuel? Um, David, King David, has just done, just cr- committed like, h- horrific sins. He's committed adultery. He's had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. I mean, all, all these things. He's neglected to be like actively involved, being the king that he was called to be, not going off to war as he was called to be, like all, all of this. And so the prophet Nathan shows up, and the prophet Nathan shows up on the scene and gives us like a little parable, and says, "Yeah, there's this this you know this man, um, and he just had one little sheep that he cared for, and, and the king needed to provide a lamb for." Supper for dinner for a guest that was coming, Been rather taking from the massive amount of flocks that he had, he took that one man's little lamb and killed that and cooked that up for dinner. And David is just outraged, like, how dare he? This man must die. And then not in a way of congratulations, Nathan looked at him and says, you are the man. David, that's you. And it was the most loving thing that he could do speaking that truth That he loved the king. And think about it. The king could have had him killed just like that. But he's like, I need to speak the truth. I would not be loving you if I didn't tell you that you've wronged, you've sinned. You've sinned against Bathsheba, you've sinned against Uriah. But David would eventually get it when he would write Psalm 51 against you and you only have I sinned. Wait, what about all these other things that he said? Well, but he ultimately understands that he sinned against the Lord. And to be brought to that place of repentance and confession was fueled by the truth, speaking the truth in love by Nathan. And what's so beautiful to see as you read through the historical books and you get to First Kings, and you will see David is an old, old man. And he's dealing with the fact that the kingship might be taken from his son Solomon, the kid that he had with Bathsheba later on. And guess who's there? By his side putting a plan together, helping him think through things. It's Nathan. Like, he stuck with him. One commentator said it this way, I find fascinating that one of David's later sons with Bathsheba that he went up having was named Nathan as well. I think it's fair to speculate that in honor of Nathan the prophet, he might have named him after him. Like, that's a picture of vulnerable relationships, speaking the truth in love. And so as we think about our calling as the church, as we close with this, I want us to see and be reminded of this. When we get discouraged, when we wonder like, how can I do this? We need to allow the cross of Jesus Christ to speak. The cross, like nothing else, speaks truth in love. Because the cross on the one hand says, Jesus had to die for you. The cross is offensive to our ego. The cross says, you were dead, you deserved hell, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, you deserved death. It speaks the truth but it also speaks the truth in love because the cross also says that the God of the universe wanted you back. He wanted a relationship with you. He wanted the relationship stored and that he sent his son, his one and only son, who was made vulnerable, who was stripped bare, who endured it all to get you back. The cross says Jesus had to die for you, but the cross also screams loudly, Jesus was glad to die for you. He wanted to bring you back into relationship with your maker. He became vulnerable so that we now, as the church, can be people that speak the truth and love, engaging in vulnerable relationships, fueled by the cross the thing that's gonna allow us to grow together. It's not our plans, it's not our strategies, it's not the things that we put together. It's going back again and again and again to the message of the cross that speaks truth and love, that says you and I couldn't make it on our own. But Jesus has stepped in, Jesus has made a way, Jesus has died the death that you deserve and he has given you all of his righteousness. And now we have access to God and we get to be part of this church. So in 2022, let's live in light of that reality. Let's keep coming back to that. Let's keep speaking the truth in love, reminding one another, you need Jesus, and I need Jesus, and isn't Jesus glorious? so let me pray for us, and I'll give us an invitation to how we're gonna participate the rest of this service to remind us of this message of the cross of truth spoken in love. Let's pray. And Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness and your grace, your mercy. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and how it constantly preaches, proclaims, just it yells loudly at us in love the truth of our condition apart from you and the truth of who we are as new creations because of your work. May this year be a year that we press more fully and deeply into that Grow us together in the gospel, Lord, we pray. We ask that you would do it for your glory and our joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.